Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. Approach in worship 
with reverence and awe. I think often in our contemporary Christian circles, we've kind of forgotten this. Our God is holy. We actually sang that earlier today. To say that God is holy means that God is infinitely beyond our categories of thought, experience, and language, far beyond our imaginations, set apart entirely from the world of creation in terms of being the creator of all, and thus not like us, our God is holy. We can go so far as to say that at least in certain places in the Bible, God burns with holiness. You might remember uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. What happened when they opened up that uh, ark when they shouldn't have? God burns with holiness. We ought always to enter into worship in our church services with a deep sense about this, I believe, with reverence for God. It's basically what we're praying in the Lord's Prayer. We already prayed this morning. When we pray, hallowed or holy is your name, we are affirming this holiness of God. No wonder then that the vo uh, voice of the burning bush called out to Moses and said, don't come any closer. <laughs> Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And we also read that Moses, not surprisingly, in his face from this voice in this fire. For we read in chapter 3, verse 6, he was afraid to look at God. What would he have seen had he looked again? A bush on fire. Now this makes me think of the prophet Isaiah, writing in chapter 6 of that book, that he saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and just the hem, it says, of God's robe filled the entire temple. The temple here, of course, is the temple of Jerusalem. God's holy presence was overwhelming to the prophet Isaiah. And he heard angels calling out to one another as the temple filled with smoke. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. No wonder then Isaiah said, Woe unto me, I am undone. For I am a human being of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. The holiness of God was almost more than Isaiah could bear. It's like his innards were melting within him. But I think sometimes we might overlook the second part of the angel's cry. They start by proclaiming God's holiness, and then they sing to one another, The whole earth is filled with God's glory. The whole earth. I want to invite you to think about that with me for a second. Isaiah was experiencing God's holy, mysterious, overwhelming presence in the temple. And while this was amazing and overwhelming, it wasn't terribly surprising, because he was in the temple. This is the place where God was believed to dwell by the people of Israel. This is the center of God's holy presence. So, if you're in the Holy Temple of Jerusalem and you're going to have an experience of God's holiness, that's the place. So even though Isaiah's experience was tremendous and awesome, it wouldn't be that surprising. And maybe we do need to think similarly to this about church. You know, just a few minutes ago I said when we enter into the sanctuary in our worship, we ought to sort of nurture a great sense for God's awesome, holy presence. And I do believe but then I hear the angels cry out. The whole earth 
is filled with God's glory. Maybe I you know, need to convince you of that. Maybe you go, well, yeah, I love to encounter God in nature. I love to get on Coronado Beach or whatever. See Point Loma over there. It's beautiful, of course. Glory, when, when we read that the whole earth is filled with God's glory, it means God's awesome, shining presence. Very similar to what I've already been describing as holiness. And the angels say, the whole earth is filled with divine glory. They don't cry out that one day that will be the case. They don't say, someday, God's glory will fill the earth. They proclaim that it's a present reality. They cry out that now, even in this moment in the life of our poor and sorrowing and struggling world, the whole earth is filled with God's glory. Now, that's not really my main point this morning, but I want to encourage you to meditate on the Psalm of the Angels. Let's not think that God dwells only within the church or only within Christian hearts. Because all of creation belongs to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the entire world is filled with the glory of the triune God. So watch for signs of that glory. So it really shouldn't be any surprise then that the holy glory of God could appear to Moses out there in the far reaches of some dry, harsh wilderness. And it's no surprise that the holy glory of God can appear anytime, anywhere, any day in your life or mine. I encourage you to watch for the glory of God to break out into your life, perhaps in entirely unexpected ways. Your home, your place of work, and yes, even here at church. For the holy God is at work to awaken our attention, perhaps even in strange and unusual ways. And so often we're not paying attention. Let us trust that God does desire to manifest divine holiness and glory into our lives. In fact, as Christians, we believe that God did precisely this, precisely this in the most amazing and unusual and unexpected as Todd has already uh, implied in his children's sermon, in the person of Jesus. The holy God grew near to us as a fellow human being, living among us in compassion and grace and love. But of course, we killed him, so there's that. So I guess we weren't really quite prepared for God's strange glory when it showed up in this most decisive way. You know, our earliest uh, Christian theologians saw experiences like Moses as like foretakes or signs of this uh, incarnation of the word that was to come in Jesus. So when Moses was at the burning bush, that voice that addressed him, that voice of I am. And by the way, and I love what God did, but I'm just going to mess with his little sermon just a wee bit. The Hebrew, not surprisingly, is actually more ambiguous than just like I am. It's, it's, it's actually very difficult to translate this Hebrew. It's not in the first person, it's in the third, so it's actually like he. And it's also kind of future tense. So a lot of scholars will say that the answer that Abraham or Moses gets, he says, what's your name? God says, uh, I will be who I will be. I will be who I will be. And then a little later, uh, the voice says, and I will be with you. Pretty cool. In fact, while I'm on that, God says, I will be with you, and then, 
not even in the sermon. I'm just now departing the podium. Um, in this text, God says, and this will be a sign that I am with you. When you lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, you will come and worship me on this mountain. Now, I want you to appreciate this. God says, here's a sign for you. Uh, it's totally in the future. And it actually depends on you doing what I'm asking you to do. But uh, if indeed you lead the children of Israel out and bring them to this mountain, that's your sign. Well, that's not much help for me right now, you know. Uh, but that's sort of the way God works in this conversation. And I love this, I will be who I will be. Because as God said, in those uh, ancient Middle Eastern cultures, if you had the name, we talked about this last week with Jacob. Jacob asked for the name of the stranger with whom he wrestled. And the stranger said, why do you ask my name? Well, because if I have the name, I have some power. I have a little bit of power over this spirit or this deity. And so God is pretty elusive. And here with Moses as well. Here's my name. I'll be who I'll be. And I will be with you. Now, uh, Moses isn't all that uh, encouraged or um, satisfied with this kind of thing. Moses' reaction pretty much exemplifies our typical response to uh, God's call, I think. Here's what the voice of the burning bush announces to Moses. I love this. Again, notice these verbs pile up. I have observed the misery of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and bring them up to a land flowing with... Flowing with what? You tell me. Just making sure you're listening. That's right. Milk and honey. Flowing with milk and honey. Their cry has come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. Our great and holy God does not stay away, distant and untouched in some unreachable heaven. That is not a God we should believe in. God knows. God feels. God sees. God acts in mercy and grace. Now, I imagine this all probably sounded fine to Moses so far. Kind of a theoretical description of God. It's, it's good theology. It's, it's the story of God, for goodness sakes. God has seen and heard and felt the Israelite suffering and intends to do something about it. Good for you, God. Hallelujah. Moses is still, you know, got his feet unshod and uh, his eyes are averted from the burning bush, but he might be around ready to burst into a song of praise for what this God is going to do to save the Israelites. But Moses does not expect to hear what he hears next from the burning bush. So, come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Uh, just wait a second here. Say what? <laughs> Moses does not understand this. My guess is we do not either. God is the creator of all things in the heavens and the earth. God is the creator of Pharaoh and of Egypt. God is the creator of the people of Israel. If they're God's people, and if God is their redeemer, why doesn't God just do the work of saving them? Who needs Moses? Why should God need Moses? The whole earth is filled with God's glory. It would seem that God should be nothing.
God of the universe desiring to employ the efforts of this sheep herder named Moses. Why? Now, if you're familiar with this remarkable story, you know that Moses asks why, repeatedly. He enters into a rather long debate with the voice from the burning bush. Moses knows he's standing on holy ground. He's removed his sandals. He's turned his eyes away from God. He knows that God is a consuming fire. God dwells in the beauty of divine holiness. Moses bows down before the Holy One of Israel. But Moses also argues with God. Amazing. For a long time, by the way. And as we've seen in weeks past, God allows the argument. My goodness. I want to say holy smokes. You know, God allows the argument. This also is at the heart of the story of God. God makes room for this debate. Over the next page or two of your Bible, Moses throws up all kinds of excuses and objections as to why he is not the right person for this job. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What if the Israelites wonder who this God was who sent me to them? And what if they don't believe me? I've never been an eloquent speaker, not in the past, but even now, while you're trying to give me this job description. I'm still a stuttering, tripping over my own tongue kind of a guy. I can't do it. And for every objection that Moses throws up, the Holy One has an answer, including, I will be with you. But please appreciate with me just how amazing all this is. The holy God in whose presence the prophet Isaiah could only cower in fear and cry, Woe is me, for I am unclean and live among an unclean people. This fiery God is fielding objections from a shoeless shepherd in some wilderness desert. And it's a long conversation. I got to tell you, I love this. I mean, usually we think if God says jump, the right answer is, okay, how high? But here's Moses going, uh, I've got some questions about this. I'm not so sure. Moses finds one reason after another why he shouldn't be God's choice. And don't forget, we still have to think about why this almighty creator even feels the need to use a puny human being at all. But even setting that aside, I just love the fact that God allows for all of these excuses for Moses and patiently addresses them one by one. It's not as dramatic as an all-night wrestling match of Jacob on the banks of the Jabbok, but it's an awful lot of verbal repartee between God and Moses. Finally, Moses knows he's coming to the end of his excuse list. And he just says, Oh, my Lord, just please send somebody else. How does Moses have the nerve to do this? Why does God allow this to go on? I'm amazed by this patient, gentle grace of God who's willing to sustain a conversation with this puny human to honor his evasions and excuses with actual answers. God burns with untouchable holiness, and yet God is also willing to enter the with us. This is the God of relation. This
This is the God of covenant. You know, covenant actually means in the Latin it means to come together with. To come together This is the God who comes together with us, who speaks, but who also listens. But, but, finally, according to the biblical text, God is heard enough. Moses throws up that one last, just send somebody else. And, and then we read that uh, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. The anger, anger of the Lord, almost the anger of the Lord. I get caught my own Twitterism sometimes. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and that really isn't surprising. It's a burning bush for goodness sake. This thing's on fire, and now God's anger is kindled. And we might expect, well, this is the perfect time for just some fire to burst right out of that bush and consume Moses. Yeah. Burn it to a crisp. I've had none of these objections. Surely God raised up stones in the wilderness to become obedient children to deliver Israel. Enough of this argument of sheep herder who's on Egypt's most wanted list anyway. Who needs it? I don't know why God puts up with this, but I sure love this story. I don't know why God, having heard the cries of suffering from the Israelites, seeks a puny human creature to be the instrument of deliverance. A creature like you. I don't know why God calls out to this human who turns out not simply to be puny, but to be scared witless. I don't know why. God continues to speak with this puny, frightened creature who's an expert in excuses and roadblocks, objections, what ifs. God does not destroy this creature with unquenchable fire, and I just don't really know why. And even now, I love that the text says, when the Lord was burning in anger toward Moses, God, who also apparently is very stubborn, continues even yet to look for ways to make this all work out. <laughs> I don't know why. But I have an idea. I have a clue, and I think it's this. That God is love. That God is love. And love is about calling, evoking a relation, an answer, a partnership. As God's holy anger burned against Moses, the very next thing God says to Moses is this. Uh, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Oh my goodness, what's happening here? Even now Aaron's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You will speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I'll be with your mouth, Moses, and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. He and he shall speak for you to the people. Aaron will serve as a mouth for you, and you will serve as God. Interesting language. You will serve as God for him. I think God's making a compromise right here. How is it that our only God, whose glory fills the earth, can be so humble as to enter into this conversation and then actually suggest a compromise? The creator of the heavens and the earth agrees to change the divine plan for redeeming Israel. Now we include Moses' brother Aaron in this work of redemption. This is not plan A. But God says, okay. 
this. I can shift. Which takes more creativity, by the way. Having an omniscient plan laid out for eternity with every detail already dictated. Or working with, creatively, responding, going for a new avenue, including other people, working with the situation. That actually takes a whole lot more creativity. That's the God I believe in. God even says, you notice that they pointed out that as Aaron will serve as a mouth for Moses, Moses will serve as God for Aaron. This is striking language that means that Moses will function as God, that Moses will represent God to Aaron. And I love that verb, represent, to represent. Moses will represent God to his brother Aaron. So, finally, we're left to wonder once more, why is it God needs or at least desires like functionaries like this? My very favorite Bible teacher in the world, a retired uh, professor at Point Loma, says God is great at delegating. But why? Why? Why is God so interested in having representatives doing God work in the world? Why in the world would God be interested in having you as a representative. Amazing. This is what, of course, what God's been trying to get Moses to do all through this long conversation. I want you to be the one who represents me to the people of Israel and to the Pharaoh and Egypt. The God of the Bible, my friends, our holy God, works in very strange ways. Those ways include you. That's one of the reasons why they're strange. You are included, and so am I. God's ways do not exclude you. Why not? Because you, like all people, are created in the image of God. Think about image as a reflection, because that's really what this term means. You are created to image or reflect God. That's why you are here. And why I am here, most fundamentally, created to image, to represent God in your everyday life activities. Like Moses, you and I are called upon by God to function, in a sense, for God. God can do this just fine. But there's some strange, mysterious love at work in creation where God longs to enjoying your efforts. So that wherever we are, wherever we go, we are called upon by God to be the image, the reflection of God's character through Jesus Christ. You, you, each of us, we each have a particular representative role that really only you can fill because of who you are and your relationships in the world. Only you. Are you listening for what the holy God whose glory fills the earth may be calling you to be and to do? Am I listening? Our God, the God of the covenants, the God of conversation, is calling. And all biblical indications are that God is opening open to hearing back from you. Let us pray. Oh God, 
draw near in compassion to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the grace we need to be listening. And then listening to respond. Maybe we can't say a whole lot more than what Moses said when he first heard that voice. Here I am. If that's the only prayer we can pray, maybe pray it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Here I am. Engage us, we pray, in conversation. A conversation that you have really most fully initiated in Jesus Christ. Your word became flesh and lived among us. O oh Lord, draw us nearer, we pray, to your heart through Christ. By virtue of our having been here this morning, in your presence with your people. We pray these things humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all of God's people shall say,